Hello and welcome back to Impact Adventures. I'm Steve Lent with Investment News. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're going to be having a chat with a reporter, Natasha Turner, who has been at COP26 for the last week and a half to get her perspective on what the experience has been like and her takeaways from the speeches, pledges, and commitments. There was big news over the last week here in the United States that the U.S. House of Representatives passed the $1.2 billion infrastructure deal, which includes some provisions uh, accounting for climate change and the like. We will take a look at that uh, in hopefully next week's episode, so stay tuned for a bit on that. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm exploring the world of sustainable investing, and my goal is to find the most interesting characters and companies that are doing this work, and I want to tell their stories and bring them to light. I believe that with education and intentionality, we can shift the way business is done and begin to use the power of the capital markets for the good of all stakeholders and not just shareholders. Today, I'm speaking with Natasha Turner, Deputy Editor for ESG Clarity, who is chatting with me today from Glasgow, Scotland and the COP26 Summit. Hi, Natasha. So good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. That's great to be here, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And where are you calling from? I'm, I'm still here in Glasgow. I know you had um, Natalie from ESG Clarity on last week. Um, and I was I was in Glasgow last week with her as well. But yeah, I'm still here. I'm doing the long haul. Excellent. And how long have you been there? Did you there from day one before day one? Yeah, day one. So I came in on the Sunday on Halloween and I'll be going back on Friday. But uh, it's, it's Wednesday today. So a week and a half so far. Excellent. That's great. And how are you finding it? Are you enjoying your time there? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very manic and it's quite tiring and there's a lot of running about. But I mean, it's great to be here and uh, to be part of everything that's going on, you know, whether that ends up being a positive or a negative. Um, you know, it's just exciting to be part of it, particularly after the lockdowns of the previous year. There's a real sense that um, everyone's very grateful to be able to do things like this again. Yeah, that was something that Natalie spoke about in our conversation last week. She was she was giddy and gleeful to be not only back at an event in person and, and as she said, feeling like a journalist again, but an event of such magnitude. Do you feel like there's still that same high energy vibe in the atmosphere there or... It's week two, the realities are setting in, maybe there's some disagreements, you know, are the words starting to show a little bit? So it's definitely a different kind of week in that we had all the high level announcements last week. And personally, we spent a lot of time in the blue zone um, and a bit of time in the green zone covering those. This week, as the negotiations have been going on and, you know, all the celebs and the, um, you know, politicians have kind of left some of those rooms, um, you know, I've personally been a little bit more removed, not going into that the, the SEC centre as much because, you know, they're kind of behind closed doors getting on with that, apparently. So it's been more about what's been going on outside. And there have been a couple of fringe events on for the investment community, which is the main reason why I've stayed up. So there was uh, the Federated Hermes fringe event on Thursday and Friday last week, and then the World Climate Summit Investment COP on Sunday and Monday. So those are the kind of big events for the industry. They're a bit outside of the you know main negotiations, but I think that's what the second week has really been about um, for us and for the industry is just those chances to connect with everyone that's up here and kind of start digesting some of those big announcements from the first week. Sure, sure. Um, for 
any audience members who aren't familiar with the inner workings, can you just explain what the blue zone and the green zone are? Sorry, yeah, I'm a week and a half here and I'm all cop speak now. Yeah, yeah, um, right, you're speaking the, the lingo. <laughs> exactly. The, uh, the blue zone is um, the area where uh, these are the announcements have been coming out from mainly um, and they've got the uh, country pavilions there and um, you know, it's, it's a bit more, um, you had to, to get accredited to, to go in there. Um, so, you know, I, I was lucky enough to, to rep lucky enough, no, it's my job. I was in the room reporting the big announcements on finance day. Um, so, you know, with, with, from the UK, Alex Sharma making his announcements, um, Mark Carney, um, and, uh, you know, everyone else that, that was there that day. The green zone then is, is sort of over the river and it, there's more access to it. There's been more um, kind of uh, out, outside events, I suppose, from those main those main policy conversations and so forth. It's a little bit, well, I, I've not done a COP before and I didn't know what to expect from the green zone. I think I thought it would be a little bit more populated with civil society, perhaps some more um, charities there or people, community groups. Um, it's still quite corporate, and I think there's a mixed view on that. So this morning I was speaking with James Alexander, who's the CEO of the UK Sustainable Investment and Finance Association. So it's a membership body for um, a lot of financial groups in the UK, and he was saying that you know it's that it's a kind of good thing that we see so much business involvement in the UK, or not a good thing, but it reflects the UK's. It reflects the UK better to have a lot of like, business involvement and, you know, it's a positive to see a lot of corporates coming to the table. Of course, on the flip side, it's it's a bit strange to walk into a room and see, you know, the sort of Sainsbury's stall and other corporate stalls and think, you know, what does it mean that you're here? Is it just because the stalls are very expensive? Does it mean there's some lobbying going on? And, you know, in a zone that people thought was going to be a bit more for civil society that can be a bit jarring i know you want to go on to talk about the activists later so i'll i'll kind of um maybe go into a bit of that then yeah yeah i think that's a perfect transition um i think there's a feeling this is an event that's so big and so much of the world's attention is is at least you know checking in on it that there's there's all kinds of emotions and thoughts about it for people like us in the finance and, and specifically the sustainable finance sector, I think we're very excited about it. It's This is great. We're putting the world's focus on what we do and what we want to push forward. But there's also the other side of it. And you brought up the protesters and the activists. And, and yeah, I was curious to get your take on that. We've seen um, some huge rallies. We've seen a lot of youth movement uh, at COP, obviously before COP, Greta and others. What's your take on that. Have you been able to speak with any of them by any chance? Um, did you see the rallies? And, and what do you think about them? Yes, I've seen some of the rallies. And I have spoken to um, some of the activists. And um, just personally as well, like my partner works for Oxfam and has been working at COP as well. And, you and, know, and real got, quick, what's Oxfam? Uh, Oxfam is a, a global um, poverty charity. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, they've had a, a presence at COP. Um, there's been a coalition of charities. So, you know, having those kind of opposite sides of the dinner table conversations there, it's very interesting to see um, the different perspectives. Uh, I think, I mean, I, I did, I spoke to an activist who was um, outside the blue zone, uh, who was who was basically criticizing 
the sort of country approaches. So the the NDCs, where they're kind of making country commitments without a sort of global um, a, approach, and on the, the finance commitments as well. And um, that's not something that's unique to you know civil society. I mean, I was also hearing that within investment COP that there needs to be more global approaches. So there's a lot of common ground. And I think another thing I was hearing at Investment Cop is that the good thing about the protests and the demands from protesters and people like Greta Thunberg is that those messages are are still powerful in pushing the agenda. And somewhere in the middle, they meet, you know. And so you've got on the one side, the the, the asset management industry really seems to be saying, okay, we've heard these pledges, this amount of money has been pledged, so forth. We need to roll up our sleeves now and work out how that's going to work. And that's a bit more complicated than black and white, this isn't enough money, this isn't enough money, etc. that you're hearing from the other side. But it's still useful in 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 bringing those, those things to the point where things are going to work. So it's not... There isn't a kind of black and white, there isn't a yes and no kind of feeling going on here. A lot of the protests, I think, have been have been welcomed and have been, yeah, useful in, in bringing all those different perspectives together. That's fascinating. I, lo- I honestly love to hear that. You don't, in, in the articles that I've read and the coverage I've seen, you don't get that kind of nuanced feeling. It's, here are the protesters, they're, they're angry at X, Y, and Z, we're going to talk about them here's cop making all these big pledges and they're kind of very different sides and you don't hear too much about them actually meeting in the middle and pushing each other in in positive ways so that's great yeah and i think you know i mean just for me i've come out of the the, well not out of the pandemic but come out of the lockdowns where there wasn't you know we've we've all been we're doing things over zoom and not doing things in person and i don't know i spent a lot of time sitting on twitter and when you read things that are 140 characters long or whatever, you, you start to internalize the fact that there's going to be like one opinion, another opinion and so forth. And that's been a, a, a real pleasure of mine to be here and see those nuances, like you say, and not have to have everything as black and white because, of course, it isn't. And uh, and yeah, it's sort of, a lot of things can be right and wrong and useful and not useful at the same time. And that's that's the real feeling from here and, and, and from the investment community as well. Excellent. And like you said, this week, they're behind closed doors. They're in the negotiations and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I think people, I mean, we've 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 got, um, heard from the investment community a lot this week and we've been um, recording videos and podcasts with them uh, for, for our site. Um, and, you know, again, there's, there's mixed reactions of how successful those negotiations will be and how far they'll go. And there's been some consensus um, within that uh, global carbon pricing has really come out as a, a strong want from the community. There's a lot of talk about the just transition. We saw the, the pension commitments from last week as well, for the Nordic and UK pensions. And um, there's been some talk about you know how, how, how that works and how that's going to work and how that could translate eventually to US pension funds as well so yeah it's really starting to talk about how these things will work another point sorry as well on that is um the kind of the kind of solutions that we'll see now so 
you know, a lot of the, the, these pledges have been, all this money is, you know, set aside for investing in solutions, but what are these? Um, and there is a lot of discussion about what those are. I was lucky enough to go to a, a breakfast uh, yesterday, I think it was, kind of on the flip side where there was a lot of companies or a lot of, um, there's a lot of fintech and it was a lot of, um, you know, kind of financial what's the word, you know, like financial solutions, basically saying like, we're here, like, here we are. So um, let's, let's get talking. So that was, that was good to see. Excellent. Well, that's great. Why don't we get into some of those things that you just mentioned? Um, let's, let's start with, with what you talked about, carbon pricing. That's obviously been an idea, been floating around for a long time. Sometimes it kind of comes and goes, it's trendy, it's not trendy. What have you been hearing about it in the last week or two? Yeah, I mean, it seemed pretty unanimous at Investment Cop that global carbon pricing is what everyone wants. And I think that's just the bottom line there. Whether we're going to see it or not, I could, we'll have to check back in next week because I think people are expecting to hear about it on Friday. So we'll see. Okay, so moving on from the carbon pricing, um, which is exciting to hear. I think it's important. And many scientists and economists have said for a long time, Pricing carbon, putting a cost of carbon is one of the, the best possible ways to move this all forward. Um, so let's talk about, you mentioned a, conversations about a just transition. That's something that uh, we've talked about a little bit on this podcast. We want to talk about more in the future. It's something that can't be ignored. What have you heard about that so far at COP? The just transition, it's something that, you know, I, th I feel like it's, it's a tricky one because when you are listening to you know, the people who you hope are the most forward-thinking players in the industry, and they're the ones you're speaking to because you know we're ESG clarity and so forth. You know, it's a no-brainer, and it's something that people seem to be working into their strategies. But you know, then you you so that that makes you think that it's kind of you know everyone's thinking about this. But I guess the case and again speaking to James this morning um, it seems that that maybe is not is not the case there is not uh, not everyone is, is actually thinking about this yet um, whether that's the government or you know asset managers so um, and 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 I guess that makes sense because it's quite complicated right I mean you if you're thinking about uh, you know tearing down a coal plant or whatever and putting up a wind turbine that's great What's going to happen to the people who work in the coal mine? Are they going to then work there? Do they need to reskill? Is there going to be some other things that you haven't thought about? Like, I don't know, is it going to change the way the city works? There's all these little uh, things to consider. So obviously it's really difficult. It's definitely been talked about a lot here. And I'd say some of the names that we're hearing it from, like UXIF, like Federated Hermes, are the ones I'd expect. And therefore... You know, you think, oh, that's, yeah, of course, that's simple, done and dusted, check. But, you know, there's probably more people out there who haven't who haven't even started working that into their strategies yet. So, Do you think it's an idea that could be, you know, there's a risk of it just turning into a buzzword and, and it's not actually really implemented? Yeah, I mean, there's always that risk. It's a tricky one because it, it can mean naturally it's going to mean different things in different situations um if you're thinking about electric vehicles uh you're thinking about the people mining 
the cobalt, but you're also thinking about people who can afford them, but you're also thinking about where you're going to put those charging points, how they're going to get there, all these things. Uh, you know, whereas if you're thinking about, you know, some sort of social infrastructure, you might be bringing in gender lens issues and all these things. And I mean, you so you can't exactly put a simple policy in place where you go, this is the just home decision. It means you think about these four things in every kind of green decision you make because it's going to be very different. So therefore, yeah, you can interpret that however you want, I suppose. So is there a risk there? Yeah, probably. Um, and also people are going to have different values. I suppose that makes things difficult. But as with anything, I mean, and as with a lot that's been discussed here, um, with anything like that, it's got to come from policy first. So, um, and that's been a real theme here too with, with all of these announcements that have been made. You know, the guidance needs to come from the policy and from the regulation so that people are clearer about what needs to be done. Well, let's move on a little bit. You mentioned, and this is something that I'd wanted to, to dive into a little bit, that in the UK, uh, there were some Nordic pension funds that have committed pretty large amount of money to green solutions. $130 billion was was the announced price tag. We mentioned it a little bit earlier, but but what does that actually mean, green solutions? Yeah, well, we're going we're gonna to have to see. I mean, there's, there's things that are already uh, coming out and saying, you know, we're here, we're investable. But there's a lot of, there's a lot more caution in the asset management industry, I guess, naturally about things like that when it comes to pensions, even more so, right? And uh, there's uh, at the Federated Hermes event, we heard from Catherine Howarth, who's the CEO of Share Action, uh, which is a, a group that um, campaigns for um, uh, people to take um, action in shareholder meetings and using that as a way um, to influence companies. So, and particularly using large investors um, to do so. Hence, why they work so closely with the asset management industry. Anyway, she was talking about the the real need for pensions to be to to, to use this and to to be greening up and how that might translate to the US as well. And she was very hopeful, but I gather that it's not even kind of in the question in, in in the in the room when talking about fiduciary duty and things in the US um, in pensions to be kind of thinking that way so I don't know we'll see yeah, I mean yeah. it, it, the UK and Nordic announcements maybe put send a sign then I suppose mm -hmm. that's a good thing yeah but. yeah for sure yeah I think I'm not very tied into the pension beat at all. So I don't want to misspeak here. But from what I gather, that it's correct. There's there's not been much talk of that. Um, I also know that, like you said, pension funds are huge. And if we can move them in the direction of sustainable products, sustainable, investable products, that's going to be absolutely huge. So like you said, maybe this can can be a, a little bit of a spark, um, especially if it works over yeah. the next couple of years. They actually do this. We see what they mean by green solutions and what they're investing in is a true sustainable company or product or investment. 
so so that we're happy from that point of view. But then on the finance side, it's actually giving them a solid market rate return. So we're happy on that side as well. And and hopefully that can, mm -hmm. you know, can prove both 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 can work. Um, yeah. And I think what uh, ties it to both pensions and then any other kind of green solution, quote unquote, is the idea of risk, which has come up a lot. And it was interesting at this breakfast with uh, all the companies on that other, on the other side of things to be saying so much that it might be more about how you think of risk and firstly what the definition of risk but also then just difference between perceived and real risk to be what's kind of blocking some of these conversations from happening so in their opinion you know they're investable and they're not and you know they're things that and it's it's just obvious to them that they're present preventing these solutions and it's a win-win and, and so forth and perhaps it's these ideas of risk that don't take climate and and so forth into account that's blocking these kind of discussions and that's obviously then even huger when it comes to to pensions who's got these fiduciary duties as well so mm -hmm, it's the mm -hmm. conversations the conversations all need to be happening and and, and that's what's been so good here yeah, as well yeah. to actually have all the people in the room there's um there's a an advisor here in the states uh erica carp she's a she's a friend of in a friend of the pod uh, she's got a quote that i absolutely love and it's 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 talking about different things but it's the same idea where and she says esg investing is just investing and it's like you just said it's looking at metrics and 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 points within the E, the S, and the G, and they're just risk, and and they need to be taken into account. And the companies that are looking at their own uh, ways of doing business and making sure that they're doing it in in avoiding those risks, which would be a sustainable way, they're going to be more successful in the, in the long term. So it, it mm -hmm. it's you know it's I think it's changing that perception that. ESG is not, I don't even like this term, but tree hugging, right? It's like, no, this is, this is material to the business. This is, this is financial. This should be part of the fiduciary, right? Yeah. When, when you're looking at investment. So it, it happens for advisors. It's clearly needs to happen in pension funds and everywhere in between. Uh, I saw that the first minister of Scotland had some some pretty important remarks. What what did she have to say? Yeah, so she did the closing remarks at the investment COP that I've mentioned a few times, and it was um, great that she was able to come down in person and give those. Uh, she's a great speaker, and uh, it's quite a quite a humorous speech in some ways, uh, which you probably won't see in all the serious reports that we all rushed out on them. But um, I say we, meaning uh, the, the the whole uh, trade press over here. Um, in which she talked about the Scottish weather and Scotland being the best. But anyway, yeah, she had uh, a lot of um, messages for the investment industry, um, as well as the kind of, you know, high-level politician stuff, um, you know. And it, it, it was a kind of reaffirming, I think, for everyone in the room there that uh, the that, that need for um, investment in climate change solutions is, is so critical. And, you know, I guess hearing that from... From the top is it must be quite reaffirming um uh, she really said you know it was it was it's going to be one of the most important things she outlined a couple of things that um you know scotland was doing and you know kind of asking for 
the industry to to support that. So um, yeah, I think I think that would have been really encouraging for for people there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think the importance is of a high level politician like that? coming to the investment community and to the finance crowd and making that kind of statement? I guess it brings together what people have been saying all week, which is just that you're going to need both working in tandem for think this this all to come together. There has been a lot of debate about, you know, where the kind of the the axe should come down or whatever the phrase is, you know, should it be coming from government's um, first and foremost, and what is the role of private finance? I mean, whatever you really think about it, it's both are going to have to play a role um, because of this completely urgent urgent need. So, to have that working together more is is going to be important, whether you think one is more critical than the other. And then, have there been um, reporting? is a huge topic of conversation in the industry. Has there been any announcements or, or conversation about the need for reporting, what that might look like, global standards, uh, anything like that? Yeah, so we've had, uh, in the UK, we've had um, TCFD reporting mandated, um, and that's uh, that's climate um, reporting based on a certain set of um requirements from a group that is a kind of a coalition of lots of groups that have come together um and uh yeah there's been a lot there's been a lot of talk about it here um there's been a talk about how this is going to work in that uh you have so you know you have sort of mandatory disclosures and then you've got mandatory reporting You've got things that can be done with those disclosures. So there are metrics companies set up that make things easier. Now, I spoke to the CEO of MSCI on my first day here, who was very passionate about the fact that, you know, we can't have mandatory metrics because those are opinions on on those reports and those disclosures. So, I mean, he works for a, a huge metrics company, so he's a little bit biased but you know the idea being that yeah you can kind of you you can set up the page so that everyone's filing the same information in the same way and then we're going to have to sort of see where we go from there but i mean that's that's still a huge a huge step and i think you know for for analysts and, and investment companies um you know looking at some of these things it's going to just make life so much easier right and and as it should be there should be climate disclosures that are that are given from companies so mm-hmm. so yeah that's very, that's very welcomed here yeah i was a little bit taken aback when i saw those remarks from him i i, I understand why somebody in the metrics and and reporting business would would want to have a freer hand to, to apply their trade but from the kind of end user side i can think of so many examples where over time, governments um, have regulated certain pieces of information that you have to be given, and think how helpful that is. I mean, totally different, but think about nutrition labels on products. Mm-hmm. You have to know the calories, the fat, the, the good and the bad, um, and it helps you make better decisions. And I think, to me, it seems a bit silly to say, well, you can't mandate that for financial products or for companies mm. who you want to invest in. Why, why not? Well, I guess with the, like, if you take a labeling, so those, you know, yes, you've got to put your 
the, the calories and the things that are in that on the label. And then maybe you as the user are the one deciding what you think is important when you look at that label. And I guess that's where he would see himself, right? He would see himself as the person making a judgment on where, what parts of that label are important and then telling other people about it. Um, and then, you know, you, that then you might tell someone else that you think the important thing about this chocolate bar or whatever is, is X, Y, Z. And then, you know, you're passing on the information that way. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know without, without getting too much into that. I think, I guess the, the, the important thing is to have that label there and the fact that everyone sees the same information on it. Um, and then we'll, we'll see where we go from there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and not to not to beat this too much uh, into submission with the nutrition labels. But if you think of keeping with that metaphor, you know, we've got these nutrition labels that shows what's supposedly in these products, um, from a pure data perspective. But look at the dietitian, the nutrition, the um, the uh, like sports and wellness industry that is sprung up all around that, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it could be the same in the finance industry where you have the raw data and then you have all these folks who are tearing it apart, analyzing it, saying, this is important. That's important. You need a low fat diet. No, you need a high fat diet. No, you need high carb, no low carb, high, you know, and and Mm -hmm. you can have all those conversations, but if the data isn't there, you're just guessing. Yeah, exactly. Great. All right. Well, um, this has been a fantastic conversation, Natasha. Are you looking forward to going home and having a few days to think about it and process it and write your stories and, and you know, finish the videos and, and your podcasts and kind of just have a chance to think about everything? Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back. And next week we'll be, we'll, we'll be on Press Week and we'll be putting our magazine together all about COP. So it's not so much of a break before we're straight back into it. And then we have our Global ESG Summit coming up in December as well, which again, we'll be talking a lot about COP and the aftermath. So it's, it's not ending. I feel like I've been thinking about COP for the last ever and for the future ever. It's just uh, not going away, but um, it will be, it'll be nice to, to have a few days to reflect for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Natasha, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Maybe in a few weeks, a few months, we can reconnect, see what has come of the negotiations that are taking place this week, look at the fallout from COP and see where we're, where we're all headed next. Yeah, perfect. And thanks for having me on. I would like to thank my editor, Angelica Hester, for being an absolute boss. Please follow Impact Adventures on Spotify, subscribe on Apple, and leave a review. I'd love your feedback. I want to know what you like and what you think could use some improving. If you know of an impact story that I need to tell, please send it my way. I'm on Instagram at the Lamco, or you can tweet me at Slim Slam. My email is podcasts at investmentnews.com. Make sure to also check out our other podcast series, including Her Success Matters, where our CEO, Christine Shaw, chats with high-level women and allies about women in wealth management. TechStax, a monthly pod exploring the latest in fintech, and of course, The Investment News Podcast, where our senior writers, Jeff and Bruce, dig up the latest news from the industry. Life is an adventure, folks. You might as well make an impact.